Welcome to the Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast. A podcast for soccer coaches from grassroots to the pro game. Soccer coaches who love the game, love coaching and want to get better. Join our community on Twitter at Coaching Family. So guys, welcome back to another soccer co- uh, coaching family, soccer coaching podcast. Uh, Join us ever with my good friend, Glenn Hicks. How are you doing, Glenn? Very well, mate. Looking forward to this and no complaints as always. And a very, very special guest all the way from Holland. Uh, another good friend of mine, Duke Oosterveld. Duke, all the way from, how are you doing there? PSV Eindhoven, head of uh, Lead Foundation coach. How are you going, Duke? Really good, thank you. The sun is shining, so I'm always happy. So today's topic is the foundation phase, and obviously I thought you'd be a great guest, Duke, to have on the show, obviously with your much work at PSV, one of the best academies in world football, producing talent, so uh, you're leading the foundation phase there, and obviously myself and Glenn with lots of experience. What would you say then, you know, just first, you know, if I say foundation phase football, Duke, what's your first things that come to mind for you? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, foundation phase is a little bit different than in Holland than in England, because our foundation phase is from eight to uh, 13, 14 years old, because um, we, have a, a, we have a system where we develop our players and we can make a clear decision in when they become pro player if they are 14 or 15 years old. That's the reason why we extend our foundation phase. So that's a little bit different than in England. But of course, uh, um, young children, a lot of chances, um, great developing and have a lot of fun with, uh, with the boys to develop. So. Like fun is one of the first things in my mind when you talk about the foundation phase. Fantastic. Where are you, Glenn? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And anyone that's been working it a long time. So I've probably done 10 or 11 years of grassroots with a foundation phase before I went to Tottenham and done 10 or 11 years there in the foundation phase. And you know, the similarities are the thing that connects everyone. You've got to get children to fall. I agree with you. You've got to get them to fall in love with the game, fall in love with learning, you know, and I've got three words that stick with me and, and they live long in young people that you've coached and they text you 10, 15 years later, inspire, influence and ignite. And I think that's our sole job, not to crush dreams. I know Youp will have a terribly difficult time at work at the moment being the leader of Foundation Phase because we're going through that horrible time of the retain and release sort. And I think I would like that to be a little bit about the conversation because it is a really difficult time for staff, but it's an incredibly difficult time for young people. We can make a lasting impression on young children at that age that lasts a lifetime if we don't get our decisions right. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the, the love and inspire and influence stuff as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, both take definite things from both of you. That fun aspect, obviously, you want to be fun and also inspire. For me, also, it's that golden window of opportunity, you know, which may be like a cliche talking about that, you know, that at that age, you know, the the boundless, unlimitless sort of gains you can make technically and, you know, skillfully with players. And, you know, if you miss that, miss that golden age, if you like, it's going to be be a lot more difficult. Tell us a little bit about the work then you do at PSV, Duke, then in terms of players coming at eights and nines at first, first experiences. Tell us about, a bit about the programme. What are those, what's, what's the programme look like at that sort of age? Yeah, we uh, recruit players from seven or eight years old. And then we have sort of a pre-foundation phase where they can train once a week on, uh, at PSV in Eindhoven. And then when you come to our uh, academy, we have uh, four or five different development centres. So instead of traveling to Eindhoven every day, they can travel to the nearest development center for where they live. Um, so we have around 40 or 50 players in our under 10 system. So uh, we split them on a center. So on each center is around eight, nine or 10 players. Um, and because we have two, three coaches on that center for that age group, we have a lot of individual uh, attention of those guys. Um, and we promise our players that they can stay in our, in our foundation phase till uh, 12 years old. So you stay in 10, 11s and 12s. So they don't have to be nervous every year to continue to the year later because they stay for us for three years. Um, of course, there are some, uh, some ex- uh, exceptions, but um, if you develop well, you stay uh, for us for three years. And then when they go to high school, they go to the 13s. This is the first year they train together as a team in Eindhoven. And then they go to school in Eindhoven, um, train every day and play matches in Eindhoven. So this is the first year they go, uh, they train together as a team. Um, and then for 40, 50 players, we reduce the players to 24, 25, 26. So then we can still give a lot of players chances to the future. And now we have uh, on a 13, on a 14 team, a really big, big uh, squad of players. And then after uh, 40 years old, then is the first time you make a sort of prediction in the future. 
which players are able to get a contract when you are 15 or 16 years old or scholarship. Um, so around 25 players, we look to how many players we see potential and performance and, 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 and good qualities for the first team. And the other players, we drop out. And the biggest advantage of our program is we work so good with our, uh, um, with our clubs around PSV. So also big, uh, big pro clubs in Holland. So if a player drops out of PSV, he can continue his pathway uh, on the level he needs. And as most of the time, it's, it's a huge pro club near to where he lives. So the program is a uh, lot of players, a lot of attention, a uh, long pathway before we make decisions. If we think you become a pro player or a pro player P PSV or a pro player to another huge club, uh, uh, what you need in your resistance or resilience. So it's a little bit short summary of our, uh, our program. Give us an idea then, for example, you know, you get your eights in one time a week or something. What sort of thing are you doing in your sessions for an under eight? What does an under eight session look like? Um, what we do, we look at outstanding abilities. So uh, uh, when I came to PSV, you saw a lot of dribblers. And now we have our passers, we have our defenders, we have our strikers. So we have a bigger variety of different players, what we call outstanding abilities. And what we like is a sort of adaptability. So the sessions look every day different. Uh, we have passing drills, we have uh, dribbling skills, we have 1v1. Uh, of course, we have small side games. We have positional games. So we have a lot of variety in our program. We use, we have our skill box. So everything is based on our skill box, but it's not only the one v one of the dribbling or the unopposed uh, skills. It's just based on different outstanding abilities, variety to create a sort of adaptability. And the best thing what I like is that you can make your outstanding ability better every day when you put attention on things that you do really well. So the sessions are really, uh, 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 different because we use sort of a topics but we use different exercises to make it to the topic so everybody can get his attention not only in the focus points but also the things that they want to improve what they are really good at which in my point is is the best thing to improve the ability of the players do sessions at eight look different to sessions at under 10 for example no it's exactly it's the, the same. same yeah exactly the same but we we don't look at ages so if you if you going to watch our development center. We don't look, uh, so you don't see the under nines, under tens, under elevens, or under twelves trains uh, separately. They all train together. So sometimes we make groups on maturity, sometimes on resistance, sometimes on how tall you are, sometimes the biological age. So what we do, sometimes we put the outstanding ability to, together with a, uh, with a coach who's, um, who's responsible. His outstanding ability, for example, is dribbling. So he guides the players that want to be a better dribbler. Um, so the, the groups look, looks different and the, uh, the income and the outcome is exactly the same of each age group. Um, so we, we train two and a half hours with our eights, but also with our twelves. So that's, that's exactly the same. Um, but we don't, we don't work with age groups. We work with different groups to create a sort of adaptability for the players to make it to, uh, to develop it when you go to the 15s, 16s or to the first team. Interesting. Glenn, any thoughts on that? Yeah, there's a few things that are, that are fascinating. I think operationally, it's slightly different to the UK. Um, so almost like that promise you said early on there is, is a terrific thing to hear because I think the turnover of children from 7 to 11 is outrageous. And if anything, it's more a reflection on us as recruiters and developers getting it horribly wrong. Because if we're, if we're recruiting under 8 or 9, then by under 10 or 11, we're letting them go out the door. I think that's just... From a professional point of view, because we're the mm. professionals, these young people are not professionals, they're, they're young children. I think that sounds like that's a really positive thing at PSV that they're doing. And I think it's happening at grassroots as well. So I see grassroots teams advertising for players and doing trials. I'm like, well, hang on a minute. You had a group of 20 under nines last year. What's happened to them? And this constant turnover, we've got to be careful. So it's great to hear that they're doing it superbly well there and doing all they can to keep them in the building. It's interesting there about the learning groups as well, about it's not age appropriate. <laughs> there, there seems to be different learning groups, which, which obviously stimulates their learning, whether it's all the dribblers or tall players, small players and, that's terrific to hear as well. And I know that goes on at clubs as well, but I'm really fascinated this time of year so about the whole recruitment thing. It's really refreshing to hear that they're looking to do all they can to retain players and not make judgments until 14, 15 and the other side of growth, especially that physical maturity thing. So, yeah, it's fascinating to listen to it, to be honest, and get the insight into it. I suppose it's, you'd say you may be a little bit different to in London where 
you know, if you're an academy, for example, you, you know, it's a lot more competitive in the current, in, in your immediate area, I imagine. So imagine you have the first pick of all your Eindhoven players in the round, right? I imagine, because you're such a big club. And if you've got like 50 under 10s, I suppose, you know, you've got 50 under 10s, whereas an academy, maybe you've got 20, you know, 15 or 20, because obviously then the challenge is the game program and stuff like that. So I suppose it's a different, you know, it's a different kettle of fish, also if you want to use a term yeah, for it, but, but it's, it's, it's a challenge, quite, right? Yeah, it, it is, but it's quite, it's quite, and also it's quite competitive for us because we recruit players in half of Holland. So then you go around Amsterdam, about uh, around Rotterdam, Utrecht. You have also really, really, really big clubs. And now we are recruiting in Germany and in Belgium. So um, our recruitment area is quite big. So it's, it's really competitive. But I'm, I, I, uh, I agree that players around Eindhoven, they always choose for PSV because they're stuck on it. But if you go to, um, to clubs around uh, uh, Amsterdam, Rotterdam, yeah, that's, that's really competitive. Um, but you see, not always you choose for us, but they believe in our program. And I, of course, I believe in our program. So that's the reason why they, sometimes they choose for us, but it's so competitive that a good player, when he is seven or eight or nine years old, he can choose four or five clubs. And they all want to have him because he's really talented. But So this is it's a mixture of, uh, of players. Some go to PSV because they're a really big fan. Some believe in our program. And some believe uh, they are a fan of Ajax and Feyenoord. And then they choose, of course, for, for their academies. How, how far are you from Amsterdam and... Uh, Rotterdam. Yeah, we are. Um, we have a development center near to Utrecht, so that's in the middle of Holland. So it's around uh, 35 kilometers to uh, Amsterdam, and around our nearest development center to uh, Rotterdam is also 25 kilometers. So uh, that's, I think, half an hour drive for for the boys to go to our development centers. So that's mm. the reason why it's quite competitive. Would you? I, mean, I assume you have like relationships with grassroots clubs and stuff in the area local stuff. So would you like, would you recommend this program to like other grassroots clubs with this sort of, you know, just the same program or you just said this is more unique because it's elite level at PSV? No, I, I believe to recruit in a, in, in a circle. So um, we have many corporations with, uh, with pro clubs uh, because we also recruit players in their uh, region or their area. So if you recruit players together and then you make a clear decision what's the best for, for the kid. And if he's really, really, really good or really talented for, of course, then you have to play with PSV. But sometimes we choose to play to a lower pro club and then we follow him two or three years before we make a clear decision. If we, if we uh, uh, add him to our program, to our, our philosophy or our academy. So we work really together with, uh, uh, with the pro clubs in where we recruit players. And of course, they need to uh, recruit with the grassroots around them so they can have a sort of a circle so that we cooperate with big pro clubs and they cooperate with big amateur clubs and then you have sort of kind of a circle that you can choose maybe you have 20 talents and then make a decision what's the best for each talent on what level he needs to develop itself to become a better football player and doesn't matter what is what his level is at that moment is more important than what is his potential in the future And if you cooperate with good teams, you have so many talks and so many meetings with those clubs, you can talk about two or three months about all the talents. And every time we ask a question, what's the best for the talent, not the best for the club? Yeah, interesting. Then, anything? Yeah, that word there um, that uh, uh, you said was potential. We hear it all the time, potential, possibility. These two words are the words we've got to work with a lot more, potential and possibility. And people say... You can't ever, you have, no one's got a crystal ball, but to a degree, the more skilled you become and the more experienced, you actually can start to see things in, in, in young people as learners, as early as seven, eight, nine, you see some concrete things there that you put, you put the puzzle together and you think, well, this young man that stayed with us up to under 16, 17 had similar traits. He had similar movement abilities. He had similar technical things. So we almost can create like a crystal ball, but that's the thing I would say to sevens to 11s to be mindful of is possibility and potential, not, not performance, not, not efficiency, not execute. In there. I know Premier League players still get things horribly wrong. I'm still seeing Premier League players pass the ball to the centre forward and they score a goal or goalkeepers getting tackled. So I think we've got to keep building on that word possibility and potential. So, and what does it look like? What, what can we almost predict for these players and, 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 and have patience. And I think patience is the other one we've got to, to work with the players. Yeah, that's, that, that's also my philosophy because 
What I don't like is I don't like team coaches. Uh, what we do, we don't talk in teams in a foundation phase. We talk about the individuals. And so also we need adaptability for our coaches because if you want to be a team coach, for example, for under 10, you can't work at PSV because you coach your players in a game or the players for, for, from each development center. But also you train every age group or every uh, on the development center because if you have six, seven or eight coaches on one center, they train all the players. So um, you're, you're mentoring some players, but you see them once a week. Or maybe you coach a group from all different development centers, but you haven't trained them for the last four, five or six weeks. But then you need to be adaptable. Uh, so we don't work in teams. We coach individuals uh, to become a good team player. But we talk about teams with the 14s or the 15s and the 16s. So then the, uh, your coaching is much different. If you're talking about team and you coach a team, it's, uh, the outcome is that you win matches or you lose matches. But if you, if you talk to the individual and you can make steps into a game, then you talk about developing. So if you want to be a team coach, go somewhere else, don't work at PSV. But so you have to change the mindset of the parents, of the players, of the coaches, and that you don't have to talk about teams. You talk about potential. Um, so this is one thing... I, I don't like because if you're talking about teams and the team, the team stays together from eight till 30 years old. If you are the best player, you don't get challenged in that group. So there is, there is a time at three or four or five years later, the best player isn't the best player anymore. If you are number three, four or five, if you look to level, they are better than number one because the number one became lazy because he trained 60 or 70% a week. So if you want to be the best player, then you are better in three or five years. So what we do is once a week, you can be the best player because you need uh, uh, a fact that you develop really well. So you need a time of success. But four or five times a week, you don't have to be the best player. You need to be challenged every day. So for example, a normal 10 player train, trains once a week with the 11s, then he trains once a week with the 12s, and he plays a match on Saturday. And his attitude needs to be the same at each age group. So if you play, example, a Rondo, he's with his own age group, he doesn't have to defend. So he's, he's making jokes as a player, also in the middle, also have to defend. And he plays them between, the, between his legs and they are laughing and he don't have to defend. But it, a, a, another day, a day later, he trains with the 12s and he's always the one who's in the middle and they are laughing about him. And then he's, he's crying, for example. And then I talk to him and say, why are you crying? Because yesterday you did exactly the same as those players, they bully, bully you and you did exactly the same yesterday. So also in behavior, but also in skills, because if you are a really good dribbler, then you have to dribble against uh, one or two years older and you have to pass because otherwise they kick you. So the adaptability of the players in every aspect in your developing, if you, if you talk about the individual instead of talking about the team, then you have developing uh, uh, the person instead of the team. So that's the reason why I don't like to talk about teams till 13, 14 years old. And what about sort of how do you say you weight your curriculum in terms of eight and nine year olds? Is it, do, you, do you say you put as much emphasis on passing as you do on dribbling, individual possessioning, you know, not say group possession because you're not a team, but I mean, you know, how much, how do you approach that in terms of, you know, looking at the individual? Yeah, we have a really clear periodization and a really clear syllabus because I have to be sure that every player on each center gets the same attention, but also the same skills. So then we create a skills box um, with a lot of clips. So we send all the clips to the players and all the clips to the coaches and we make exercises because I'm sure that every player on each center in each age group gets the same attention and the same skills, the same principles, the same tactics. This, this is, I think, around, if we, if we train 10 hours a week, it's around six or seven uh, hours is based on our periodization or our syllabus. But the other three hours is based on uh, put your focus points, uh, so your outstanding ability, gifted attention in small side games. Or we, we call, we have uh, a half an hour at the beginning of our sessions. They can train what they want to improve. So it's up to them. And they can ask a coach, do you want to help me to, uh, to make, make my left foot better? Uh, the other striker wants to score more. So as outstanding ability is scoring. So uh, can you help me to score more goals? Or sometimes they can do it by their own. They uh, put a, a, a bips in the goal with the numbers, and if they put them in uh, in the top, they get five points. To put them in the in the in the in the corner, they have two points, for example. 
So then they uh, they own their own uh, pathway and their aesthetic ability and their uh, focus points. They can train it by themselves next to uh, our program, what we teach all the boys. So it's specialized three hours and it's based on uh, to have all the skills, what you need. To, so you can pick everything out of the skill box to make a good decision in the game or in a training session. So what I told you, six, seven hours is based on periodization and three hours is based on individual development and the, the pathway of the program, which players totally different than the others. Can you give us an idea, a bit of detail about your periodization? What, what does that look like in, in the reality on the grass? Yeah, what we do is we, 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 talk, about, we talk about boxes. So we, um, we have uh, in the central boxes, we have three, 10 and nine. We have two sides and um, our periodization is, is logical football. So, for example, we build from behind from box three to box 10. And the players don't know the boxes, but we as coaches, we know our box system. So, for example, if you want to pass from box three to box 10, it's a totally different pass than you, have to, than you pass from three to two. Um, so our principle is we want to play over the press. Then we want to play through the press. And the last step is if we can't play through or over, then we have to play around the press. So all the skills that you need to play over uh, through and around the press, those skills we train in, in, uh, in, in that week. So there's the build-up from behind. Then we show them clips from Liverpool, Chelsea, City, because that's the benchmark in European football. Like City, for example, they build up. So every player get a short clip on Sunday. Uh, this is going to be the focus points for this week. So build up from, uh, uh, from City, uh, outplay the opponent with a pass or with a dribble or with a move. Um, you need a plus one to build up from behind. You, use, uh, you have to be available in the pocket or between the lines. And if you can't turn, you need a third man. So a lot of principles and skills that we train in that week. So we... What Can you give do? us a just tube? Sorry, Max. I'm yeah. interested. That's really interesting what you're talking about there. So, for example, the eights and nines that we're doing that. Can you give us an idea then of that session? So, obviously, there's a lot in there because you're talking about obviously playing over to so be able to clip the pass or play to combine, outplaying one v one, all those things. There. Can you ask there what what session would look like then for the two the two two box? Yeah, the, the three the, box. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, so the three and ten. So, so the two. middle. As yeah. an example, the first half an hour is unopposed. So then yeah. we have, for example, um, a pass movement. You pass the ball, you turn open, you play a, a diagonal pass to the number 10, for example. Um, this is the first half an hour. We do it with the right, right foot, the left foot. And you can put attention on the turn. You can put attention on the pass. You can uh, uh, cut when you're on number 10. So you cut behind. You can cut outside. So, what would, that, so what would that look like? So I'm just being nosy. So you say, for example... You got a lot of players there. Is how many players would be in each group of coaching? How many players would be doing this exercise? Uh, I, maybe eight, eight or nine, eight or nine players. And then so you'd have nine. Would it be like a like a passing drill type thing? So like going from one to so passing here, turn to pick, yeah. clip it, and then moving yeah. and you know following type thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, un, it's unopposed. And the second half of an hour is uh, resistance. So then we play, for example, four against two or three against two. The outplay the two. So then you have the same skills. So again. Turn open, diagonal pass, or turn open, dribble to outplay the opponent. So, and then the third half an hour is um, a sort of positional game with all nine. So, for example, transition game, three against three against three. So, you have an overload of six against three, but it's unorganized with the same principles, with the same skills. And then we play, for example, a four against four, small side games, and also with the same principles and with the same skills. So we put the focus on those skills and we train and unopposed. And then in every exercise, we make it harder and harder and harder instead of numbers or we increase the uh, amount of passes or we create the space or we use operational spaces, offside lines. But the focus points are always the skills that are centered in the boxes that we use to, for this example, build up from behind. And from one week to the next, you'll move box from the two to the... 10 to the just we'll just move each position each week or how long do you spend on each one yeah it depends on the group so for example if you play over the press you have more a long ball or a chip so the different skills so your first touch is different when you play over the press and then the second week or the second week or the third week you have to play around um but it's, it's it depends on the level and the performance of the players 
So maybe in the first week you go to to put skills when you go to box two. So you play around the press. And around the press is more 1v1. So we need a 1v1 winger who is really good in a 1v1. And maybe when you go to box seven, you need a, a, a pass. So it depends on uh, the players, depends on the coach, depends on the training session. So if you want to do more, you can do more. But if you want to do less, to stay in the skills, you can stay in the skills. It doesn't matter. You don't have to follow my program exactly every day the same. It's up to the coach when he goes to the step further or he stays in that scale or in the box. Interesting. Glenn, anything on that? Yeah, there's, there's a lot to unpack, but it sounds it sounds complex, but what I'm hearing from there is, yes, there's a lot of variety. Yes, there's a curriculum as such, but there's a fluidity and a flexibility about what they do. And it, and, and it seems like, so some of the key things for me at 7 to 11, just keeping it general for grassroots coaches and, you know, uh, academy coaches is, You've almost got to be like like a farmer and you've got to be the one that's planting seeds and cultivating this environment that actually allows these young people to grow and have things that they take with them for the rest of their football journey. And what I mean is I'll pick up on what you said about behaviour and character a while back at the beginning of the conversation. You know, skillfully moving the best player, because this whole Lingby theory, I still don't quite agree with it about green zone, red zone, amber. The very, very best, if you're talking the Van Persies of Holland, the Cruyffs, the Bergkamp, I believe they live their best self totally outside their comfort zone. If they're under-stimulating and under-challenged, they look around going, what are you doing, coach? I'm bored out of my head. I'm giving 50%. And, and you lose them. So that what, what you said about skillfully taking the under-10 to the under-12s, that, that's the art of the coaching. Because if you've done it by the boundaries of, oh, he's under-11, he's got to stay in the under-11. Well, actually, he's too talented for these boys. He's under-challenged. And that... And then the, the bit about what you said about taking the boy from the rondos being the one laughing at the you know the kid in the middle and then suffering the next day, that's skillful coaching. And that in a nutshell is, and, and there's a lesson there to be learned, isn't there, so about coping and, and, and whether you fail an exam at school or whether you're having a difficult time at home. Them coping strategies and building character and behaviour was fascinating to hear. And then, you know, interweaving it with the specific technical syllabus that they do it sounds like there's a lot of variety on the technical stuff but like we said the other weeks so on one of these podcasts is there's key concepts in there about playing everyone knows that you get taught in the coaching course through the press over the press round the press shooting from in front are we going to beat him with a dribble is it going to be the passer today but the concepts are there to be grown do you know what i mean so it's almost like there's loads mm. of seeds being planted here and giving them the tools to then go on and see what they're going to be later on it's, it's fascinating to listen to as well like you talk about that resilience, like you mentioned resilience there, and like you talked about their dupes. There's Dave Collins, who's a sports psychologist. I was lucky enough to work with him at Chelsea. He talked about the rocky road to success, how the players, they need that, build that resilience, right? Because if they don't, if they're just like this, they say they're the best player, they don't really play off, or they're not the challenge, they get, and they get to the first team, there's a drop and suddenly they just can't handle it. So that's trying to create those, 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 prob those problems, aren't you? You know, you've got to challenge them, you've got to test them, and... I suppose the question would be then, what age does that start? Because that's, I mean, what would you say, like, you know, playing devil's advocate, maybe some people saying, you know, under eights, under nines, should just be free play and maybe not as structured as, as what you guys are doing. I like to know some clubs do that. What, is, what, are your thoughts, what would your thoughts be on that? Uh, I totally agree with you. It looks like it's really strict, but it's, it's, it's really free. But um, what I want is that they can be the best version of themselves, but everybody hasn't, as his own outstanding ability. So if you always play four against four and it's free for players to play, the best player shows his outstanding ability. But what I want is I want different environments. I want different uh, uh, parts of my session that he can be 20 minutes the best player and your outstanding ability. So it's not strict in that program. It's strict in... Uh, a focus point in that exercise. So that's the reason why I want different exercises that everybody play can be in outstanding ability, the best player in that 20 minutes. So of course, we let them play. We let them, we let them discover things that they need for their own development. But that's the reason why I want to play in different training groups. So if you, then everybody has a, has a uh, kind of success in his own session. Sometimes you're the best player, sometimes you're the worst player, sometimes you learn, sometimes you have success. So I stimulate all the players in their adaptability and their, um, their improvement. I challenge every player. And then you have a great environment where you can start from players with six or seven years old. Because if a, if a five-year-old is bored, he's annoying. But if you challenge the five-year-old in, in everything, it's the same as school, same, the same if you have children. 
if he's bored, he's annoying. If you challenge him, if he, he, he has fun and he's, he's improving himself. So that's the reason why I think you go the golden years in skills. Why not the golden years in behavior or adaptability? Mm. Teach them young that you're used to it. Interesting. What about scanning? Duke, this is, that's the buzzword at the moment. That's what everyone's talking about. You know, this is, you know, the world's gone scanning crazy. It's almost like the, when the world went game constraints crazy, everything's got to be in a game. Everything's got to be scanning. Otherwise, it's nothing. It's not worth anything. What's your thoughts on that? And it's, it's unreal. If um, everybody shows the Lampard clip when he yeah. watched 92 two times in two minutes. So what you see now is you see young players, they look over the shoulders, but they don't watch. They learn, they learn to look over the shoulder, just like what you do when you drive a car. If you get lessons, they told you, look in the mirror, look uh, over your shoulder. But now you drive your car and I don't look over my shoulder. Now, do the same with players. So check your shoulder, check your shoulder, check your shoulder. But if you don't, don't observe what you see and you don't get the intention to make the right decision, why do you check your shoulder? So I hate when, when, when coaches do the exercise with the bibs. So yeah. with four goals and reds, yellows, and you have to score and go, I don't like that. But you, what do you look at? So what I like is, that's the reason why we work with our box system and we use with offside lines with players from 9, 10s, 11, and 12s. Because if you create, and we, I call it uh, operational space, so you create space behind the last line, then you create awareness. But in all small side games and small exercises what we play, the distance between a goalkeeper and the last line is always three or four, five meters. But then you go to the game, it's 50 or 60 meters. And then we become angry to our defenders that they don't can defend with space on our back. We are angry with the midfielders because they don't make the run behind the last line. We are angry on the goalkeeper because he's always too late and he receives a yellow or a red card or he stays in the goal, please come out. But it's our fault because we don't create exercises with spaces. So that's the reason why I believe in awareness if you, if you play in the right spaces. So if we play a, 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 a three, four, three uh, transition game, then you need to watch because you have an overload and it's really quick in a small side. But if you do the same exercise with an offside line and 20 meters behind the last line, also the player who is really good in awareness to play a through pass, you give him the conditions to play a through pass. But if you always play in small side games, he can't play his outstanding ability because it's too small. So I, I believe in awareness when it's based on football and in spaces instead of creating a, a fake environment where you train to look over your shoulder instead of watching what you want to see. Yeah, I've always been a bit cynical that because I'm doing a lot of individual coaching and you know you see the people on you know Instagram where you know individual player turns holds up a cone yeah. or a bib and color. I'm a bit like you. I think it's more you know you make you structure your games a little bit more to force players to get their head up and have their awareness, I suppose. And Glenn, what's, what's your thoughts on just doing all all of the all that? Yeah, no, it's not that I disagree with both, but I, I see it slightly differently. I think I think there's a few things going on. I think the whole idea of a bib, so I said, I've done a receiving thing before where they're doing a dribbling, a running game down the other end, but the, the objective of the session down the other end was to do their running. You know, that's a good a little 10-yard sprints in. But the concept of looking over your shoulder and seeing someone with a bib and calling out two or three things was, can you see what colour bib he's got as you're turning? So it's just it's just you developing the skill of looking for something. And I get what you saying it because for me when I drive I'm, I'm driving and I'm anticipating well ahead but I'm I'm thinking is that school child going to walk out you're predicting you're you're reading the road right so so I think the whole idea of the bib is to develop the skill actually then it's about that concept putting it into context in football so now when a defender turns your shoulder good you are looking but what's the information you're receiving if you're the midfielder did you see the centre forward make a little dip in running behind oh well okay if you see it why didn't you flick it around the corner first time if he then turns around and says I just chose to refuse the pass. I didn't think it was on to execute. Fine. That's a, another skillful tool. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not for or against it. I can see the benefits of both. But again, the skill of coaching there is, do we know why we're doing it? Is it developing a skill that's necessary? It's like, you know, if you've seen that reaction board tool, you know when they do that reaction thing where they're yeah. trying to hit him? I think that is really good for alertness. Of course, in, in, in context, it's nothing to do with football. Like, But in terms of responding to, to, to stimuli around your periphery and stuff, it's terrific. But then it's about, okay, well, now, when you're looking forward at the ball, did you see someone run out the corner of your eye? Or did you did you see the defender coming in on your right shoulder? So you didn't even have to turn your head. You see him out your periphery, and then you, you just rolled him to the left, like Thiago does so expertly well when it looks yeah. like he's closed. You know what I mean? Thiago does it beautifully. And the, the, the thing is, he's got such a skill set that, let's be honest, we know defenders are triggered 
to press the ball on a closed touch, a loose touch. So if that's the truth and you're and you've got a, a really stubborn block like a Diego Simeone team, have have a false bad touch. Have a, have a touch that looks like a bad one, like Zidane used to do sometimes, or Cruyff had. Have a bad touch, and then he's going to come and bite like a dog, and then just poke it past him when it fell. Or, or stand with your body completely closed like Thiago. Don't worry, no, the whole world don't know what you're doing. The defender comes charging in because you're provoking that, because that's what they're conditioned. And then when you see him or sense him around the corner, boom, you're out. And, and it looks like magic, but there are so many little conceptual things here and skills that, again, if we're planting them early at 7 to 11... They flourish, they grow, and sometimes they don't even need good coaching because sometimes you can get poor coaching, good coaching. It is what it is. It's subjective, isn't it, sometimes? But they can just grow because because the, the, the skills are in there. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? I felt like I was rambling a bit there. Probably. Yeah, it's, it's like it's like the uh, Sterling Man City one, isn't it, where he, clo- he set, comes and proceeds it close, sets and goes you know, one-two, basically. So defender goes to press and pops it, sort of runs around him with a one-two. I mean, yeah, in, in, very interested in that. I mean, what... Uh, just lost, lost again, lost, lost, lost some What about your? You said you're, you're looking for coaches. Uh, what, what do you look for in a foundation phase coach? What are the qualities of you, need, you needed to coach? Just generally in foundation phase, particularly at PSV, but what would you say generally? What, what would you need to be as a F, FP specialist? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same with players. I look to outstanding ability. Um, dedication is, is the key. Um, so the first thing is, and it's really good now because our 14s and 13s coach. They are out of the foundation phase. So what we do now is we develop our own coaches. And the first thing is dedication. So if you go to PSV, you, buy, you become a volunteer at the beginning. So you, we give you a contract uh, around 1,700 euros for a year. And I ask you to be there four times, two and a half hours, and coach your game on Saturday uh, because it's your opportunity. So you need a sort of a dedication. And then I look to outstanding ability. So for example, on each center... I want a team of coaches um, with all its uh, speciality. Uh, for one, is it just like the behavior of the players? For some is the welfare, some is skills, some is multi-skills, some have uh, uh, agility as focus points. So they can, on each center, I want a variety of different coaches. But what I want is that I want to develop the players to be adaptable to different coaches. So I want demanding coaching uh, coaches. I want coaches who... Um, are three or four years older than the boys because they have a connection with, you need a connection with both because some players, they like the demanding coach, but some, some they want a boring coach because they want to observe by themselves instead of get every information every second. So I want a variety of different coaches with different behavior, with different uh, uh, super strengths to make the player better, but the player can also choose where he has the best connection with and that's the mentoring to help the player. So that's the reason why I don't have uh, um, uh, I don't have things that they need as a coach. The only thing I ask is dedication. Then you get a contract when you do it well after one or two years. This twenty-hour contract a week. Then you make 50, 60 hours a week. If you do it well, we give you a contract of forty hours. Then you have to work eighty hours, just like me. I'm here the whole week. I open in the morning and I close at night, and then I eat nine o'clock when I come home. And a day later, I'm the first one here. So that's, that's the demanding part I ask for my coaches. And then you have the same with the players, because if I demand everything from my coaches, they demand on their way what's good for the age group, what they need to be a better football player. But I like the different variety as different outstanding ability, also with our coaches. Quick, Glenn, what do you say? What do you say with the ounce? What sort of qualities you need to coach at the foundation phase? Um, I, I, I agree with that. Oh, we know what it's like, and it long days and days off, and then you, you realise you've got two kids as well. Like, oh my god, my kids! You know, it, it, I, I think with young coaches, especially, I'm mentioning a lot of young coaches. I spoke to one the other day and, and said, "Look, everyone wants a coach until they realise what coaching is really about. Like raining, cold nights, getting on nine o'clock, ten o'clock at night, eating at ridiculous hours because actually we're coaching between five and seven when everyone else is sitting at home having their dinner. It's a quite an unsociable job because you're teaching in the evenings, teaching at the weekend. So 
that adaptability as coaches as well. Like I can't remember a time in 23 years of coaching now where I haven't worked unsociable hours, whether it's in the evenings or the weekends, where it's just almost, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say it's like an industrial hazard or trade. It's just part of the job. It's, if you don't look at that and accept it early on in coaching, that you're going to be out of the house at difficult times. It's even a challenge to relationships at times, whether you're a young single guy trying to develop a relationship with, with, with someone or married with children. It's, it's a huge commitment, first and foremost. It's a great point that you mate but i think i think so coaches in general need to stop just learning the games please stop looking at pep and 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 clop and football this obsession with football is great we've all got it i've had it since three four years old maybe right and i know you share the same but it weren't until maybe five to ten years i'd say seven or eight years of coaching where i thought i was this big shot when i was young and then you have this humility things just happen to you where wow you actually meet people that are serious, and it was probably when I come to Spurs, so I'll be honest, or probably a bit before that, there's uh, someone you know called, called Jim Hicks, who's a wonderful player developer. I was humbled by these people that had been coaching for 20, 25 years, uh, probably a stage where I'm trying to get towards now myself, where I know nothing. Like, I know nothing. Study more. Learn about some of the behavioural stuff that we were talking about with you. Learn more about psychology. You haven't got to be a psychologist, but you've got to know some stuff about the basics of psychology. You, you, you're not going to be an expert in everything. And it's, it's that saying, so I would say, with foundation phase coaches especially. I, I actually think, even though a lot of the jobs are the most underpaid, in my opinion, they are terribly underpaid in general, because I think you need some of the biggest skill sets. I genuinely do. And I say that having worked in all the age groups and working heavily with 16 to 20 year olds at the minute, you know, with young men, that the adaptable thing that you said is fascinating because I'm trying to, you know, we're, we're trying to take these 16 year olds to go from being 15, 16 year olds to are you are you an adult that can cope? Not necessarily man, woman, it doesn't matter. Are you adult enough to cope with with the rigors and and the rough choppy seas of senior football? So just I'm not going on a bit, but the point um, you said there about about having different coaches. Well, actually, I think we can be that coach. I think we can adapt our coaching style if we're skillful. I, I choose sometimes consciously to really get into players and bark and bite them and put almost a little bit of false pressure. Because I know the manager that they're trying to play for in step two of semi-pro football or they're trying to get into league football or a scholar, they're incredibly demanding. Yep. I said, you think I'm barking and biting. You guys, well, this guy's going to take your head off. You need to be ready to cope. So we almost need to be that skillful communicator so where we're that adaptable coach. Sometimes it's a pat around the back. Sometimes it's that very nice, fluffy, positive, well done, you're doing superb. And, and that's the skill of coaching. And it sounds like a lot, and I'm rambling a lot, but there are a hell of a lot of skill sets here that seven to 11 coaches need to understand. Invest more time in learning this stuff from, from actual experts of, of teaching, like you know, teachers at school and, and you know pick up some psychology and mindset stuff and, and, and whatever else. So that's my long-winded answer. Apologies that I rambled a bit. That's good. Interesting. And I also, I, remember, I always go back to my early experiences working with well, Tim Bradbury, who's another mentor and another top, top coach, you know, similar to Jim Hicks, who always talked about personality, especially with the youngest age groups. And he said, you know, if you don't have a personality, make one up. You know, and that's just for me, it's always been a big one about, especially the youngest age group, being enigmatic, having that, you know, big, gregarious, being really outgoing and loud and trying to create those buzzy, intense, you know, like I said, fun sessions because you've got to grab, especially the youngest players, you've got to grab their attention and keep it, you know, talking about grabbing it in their hand and, you know, sort of doing whatever you want, that sort of thing. So I think that's really important to get this particular foundation phase. I see loads of sessions where, you know, you've got coaches who are tactically maybe um, amazing and or technically, you know, got everything in the locker, but maybe they don't have that personality to communicate, as you said, with young players. They can't, they don't know how to, you know, raise their voice or drop their voice or how, you know, be a little bit fun or crazy or silly or whatever when they need to be and a little bit too sort of straight down. Because some players, some coaches are a bit, as you know, you could probably say some coaches are just suited for the foundation phase. Some are suited to adult football, right? Or some are suited to the YDP. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I forgot to say, um, because in, in our last podcast, uh, I told you the story about when I was when I went to West Ham, Terry Wesley, he had a youth academy at that moment, and he asked me one question: Are you a first team coach or are you a developer? So that's the same with coaches. Um, so I forgot to say, but the key point is, in my way at PSV Eindhoven, is to look to the individual instead of look to the team, and I totally agree with you to that you have specialized coaches who are really good at the foundation phase. But at the other moment, you have to prepare them to the unsafe football world. So if it's too safe at the beginning, the gap between the uh, foundation phase and development phase is too big. So the reason that I like is 
I'm on a 17 assistant coach, but also head of the foundation phase. So I'll work with eights and with nines. And then an hour later, I work with the 17s. But I don't change myself. I'm the same coach, but it's really good for the eights and for the nines, but also for the 17s. Uh, but also you yeah, have specialized in the foundations phase who are uh, uh, really uh, fun and they, they make jokes and they have good exercises based on the skills. We also need them with the seven teams because they need the same attention from different coaches. So that's the reason why I like to, to work with different coaches, but they all need to work in different phases in a youth academy because a lot of players from 15 years old, they need the foundation phase coach and they're in their developing, but they also you have really small players in tactics when you're 11 and when you're 12 years old, they need maybe me as a coach from the 17s to watch clips with them, to talk about tactics and principles or where they can find the space to be the playable man or where they can turn open to play the true pass. So it doesn't matter uh, you're specialized as a coach, but it doesn't matter which player on which age group needs you to be a better football player. And I don't think that depends on age. It depends on needs and focus points and, and, and outstanding abilities. Interesting. What would you say, like, for example, for a grassroots coach and he's got, he's got, he's got players, eights or nine-year-olds or 10, 11s, he's got them one hour a week. What would you suggest they focus on in their session? What, would, what should they do for, you know, how would they approach their sessions? Skills, all skills. But there's no connection between the skills. You train nothing. If, you, if they don't know the purpose why you train a skill, uh, then they do nothing. Then you make skillful players, but they don't can make the right decision in the game. So it always has to be connected to, to a game. And they don't know, they don't need to know the connection, but it needs to be a logical uh, uh, skills after, 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 after each other. So you, in my opinion, you, you can't train at the same session, heading defensive and then uh, uh, scoring uh, attacking so you can't you can't you can't combine it in a session because it's not logical so it's all skills but logical skills which which they can uh, 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 train and show in the 4v4 or 3 4 3 in the last 20 minutes of the session interesting glenn yeah no, I, I think yeah c c connecting all up when i've looked at some of the very best and learned from some of the very best people and player developers like you know I, I regard jim as one of them and you know the names that we all know chris ramsey john mcdermott like it, you, you see a lot of sissies they're probably the most adaptable coaches as well they can go in and do an under seven session the same as a first team session and 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 get all of the players to buy in and 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 they're, they're magically developing every player saying the right thing at the right time do you know what i mean and you look at and you think it is an art it is just such a skill and a lot of that comes to maybe we're just like a conduit, aren't we? So we, we our job is to connect. You know, you said connect a lot there, and 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 you know, there's this thing about context and and put it into if it fits the game, if it makes sense. I, we're like a conduit. We, we've got to connect the player to their potential, and that doesn't mean at nine years old try and get into like Harry Kane because there's a 15 year journey to go through there. Do you know what I mean? But the next step, whatever the next step is, if they ain't grown yet, well, okay, we'll then keep keep developing the smaller child to be. There's two fundamental things that we're obsessed about, or what we have been because of the education we got, is are they exceptional movers? So by the time they're 11, if you can create a team of exceptional movers, and I include goalkeepers as well, when you look at the agility of Hugo Lloris, there are huge movement benefits to telling your goalkeepers from 7 to 11, you've got to have some games on the pitch. You've got to train on a Thursday evening on the pitch. Go and play outfield, even if they look a bit awkward, but it's the whole twisting and turning and moving. And when I watch our goalkeepers, for example, at the minute, they move as well as the outfield players. Do you know what I mean? So there are some fundamental principles there of being good movers and, and having mobility. And another thing I'm, I know I'm obsessed about is this whole, whatever it is that you, Duke does or you do or I do, this whole obsession with two-footedness. It needs to be bigger among coaches because if you get a young player, 11 or 12 or 13, that comes out of the foundation phase, wherever you put that ceiling, as a two-footed player, You've got a gift there that's going to be, you know, we only have to see Kevin De Bruyne last night, so and it's exceptional to watch. The guy could have scored five goals in one game. He hit the post on his head. He could have scored five exceptional technical goals that on any foot, it doesn't matter what foot, when you're scoring that type of goal. Yeah, that third one, I mean? that third one where he just rockets oh, it's it. Just, oh, it's exceptional, right? isn't it? And I think yeah. the likes of him and Son and Santi Cazorla and David Ginola and Glenn Hoddle, all these players that come from my mind, or Zinedine Zidane, I don't think there's enough of them. And we should be asking the question as coaches and saying, well, 
how comes there's only one in a hundred of these? Why are they not coming through more normally? Why is it not normalized that we're developing two-footed players? Do you know what I mean? Because I think if you come out of foundation phase, that it makes learning the game a lot easier uh, as you grow. Absolutely. And do you, I know you know your press of times, you're a very busy man, as you know, from dawn till dusk there. Just briefly, how how do you, you know, you, you work at one of the best academies in the world, you know, you're top head of the foundation phase. How do you stay on top of the game yourself? How do you develop yourself and make sure that you know you're you know you're at the cutting edge of the game? Yeah, you, staying you know, at the cutting edge of the game because you are at the cutting edge staying there, I suppose. Yeah, you, you know, I'm really a big fan of uh, of English football. So I went to West Ham for three weeks and I was quite lucky because uh, three months ago, it was one week uh, at Liverpool with the first team for three or four days. And we went to the Youth Academy. Um, and I spoke with Pepin Linus, the assistant coach, and we were really happy that your know, club went, uh, went by for 20 minutes. And so I had to ask him some questions. Um, but I, I, I look to, to top football in England. So I watch so many games in England. I, I can watch Burnley Watford and have so many precious things about that game we can put in our program. Um, but also with, um, for example, Liverpool City, I think that's the, ben- the benchmark of modern football. And we need mm-hmm. to predict something was how, how does football like, uh, look like uh, in uh, four or five years? So uh, I want to watch uh, uh, English academies. Um, because I'm really a big fan of uh, the environment, the atmosphere, and the dedication to football every second uh, of each member of the staff at the whole youth academy. I like that because I'm the same, and I want to learn from the from the best. Uh, I want to learn from the top the top teams, and then then I reduce all those information to the foundation phase. Um, and I, I'm not a really skillful person, so I have specialists around me already skillful in uh, in the, in the skills book, for example. So I need specialists around me to, to make myself better. I'm really stubborn, but I, I learn from, from people around me and I learn from the best academies and the best players and the best uh, uh, tactics. So I learn from Guardiola, I learn from Clark, but I reduce it to my own uh, environment, which is the foundation phase and uh, the under 17. So there's a, it's a huge difference, but if you, you reduce all the information to the context, then it's, uh, then it's really good to uh, develop yourself not only as a coach, but also as a human or as a football uh, developer, because it's my, my job, to, the, the best thing to be a developer. Drew, thanks very much, mate. I'm going to let you get back to your very busy schedule. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Then thanks, cheers, mate. pal. Cheers, mate. Welcome to the Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast. A podcast for soccer coaches from grassroots to the pro game. Soccer coaches who love the game, love coaching and want to get better. Join our community on Twitter at Coaching Family.